Welcome to the podcast version of Taproot TV, where weekly we share with you information for root cause analysis to analyze and fix the real root causes of problems at your company. Working together, we are all changing the way the world solves problems. So let's get straight to this week's episode. Tim, we're talking about car crashes. All right, car crashes. Now, I saw an article in The Atlantic, and it was titled, The Deadly Myth that human error causes most car crashes. Have you ever heard that before, Tim, that, that the leading cause of car crashes is human error? I had heard that before, and you know, you hear that in all kinds of things, not just car crashes. It's the easy, easiest thing to blame, right? It's, the, it's uh, so-and-so's fault, their so, error. And um, so, yeah, it's common. Now, this, this article was interesting because it was, you know, it was really thinking about it from a surprisingly, you know, forward-thinking human, uh, human factors and root cause analysis perspective. So I want to give you some facts about, about where we're at when it comes to fatalities and, and car crashes. So okay. currently there's around 30,000 people a year die from car accidents. And there's around 11 million car accidents in the U.S. every year. Okay. In the U.S. So that's, and that number has been going up, not down. So you'd think we'd be getting safer, right? You'd think we'd be making safer cars and, and, and people would be making less mistakes. But it seems to be going the opposite way. We seem to be having more accidents and the fatalities are going up, not down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you look at the data, and this is what was done, this was the start of this kind of article. They looked at these accidents and they found that the, uh, the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority uh, kind of does the investigations and classifies. They don't do every accident, but they do a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they found that the critical reason, that driver error was the critical reason for accidents in 94% of car accidents. So that's where that number is coming from. It's coming from the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority. Um, and, and they were calling that the critical reason. And this article was saying, you know, that that's... Just looking at one mistake, say in human error, you're missing all this other stuff. Yeah, this sounds familiar. That sounds real familiar, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, and so I was reading this and I was thinking, you know, critical error, that sounds a lot like a causal factor, a who did what wrong, right? right Driver right. was driving too fast in the zone or, or, uh, or did, not, uh, did not turn off or didn't see pedestrian, right? Those all sound like things we've, we've seen as causal factors before. Um, and so this article was saying, hey, you know, they're not digging deep enough in these accidents mm-hmm. and they're just stopping at human error. And because they're just stopping at error, what do you think they're doing? What do you think uh, they're doing to fix it? Well, <clears throat> probably a pretty low level corrective action. Uh, you know, when we talk about that in Taproot, it's discipline or training or something like that. So I would imagine, you know, uh, tickets and uh, things like that is... Uh, what the current corrective actions are. Yeah, so they were saying they were saying that, you know, when we think about from a police standpoint, you've got um they're they're doing their corrective action by finding a person. We're gonna find a person at yep. fault, we're gonna assign them fault, they get a fine. Right. So there's a disciplinary so you can action. Discipline, yeah. Disciplinary action. If you're bad enough in the car accident or you had so many, what do they do? They take your uh, license. They could take your license. Yeah. They they might do that. Or they'll send they'll you raise your insurance, <laughs> send you to school. Send you to school, send you to school. Yeah, yeah, so there's yeah. some more training. There's some more training. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, that's really putting the, the burden on the person, right? On the driver. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, you look at the insurance company, what are they going to do? Like you said, raise your rates. Raise your rates, yep. Um, do you think they change the roads? Well, I don't know if they change the road, roads. The majority of the time, I would say probably not um, change the roads. I mean, yeah. maybe on some instances, but pretty much no, probably not. So I thought this was an interesting article for, for looking at, you know, that they say this line, they had seeking to find a single cause for a crash is fundamentally flawed approach to road safety and underpins much of Americans' traffic enforcement and crash prevention. I, I have to agree with that. That it's probably every incident like that that you have, it's not one single thing. It's a combination of a lot of factors adding up to it. Um, you know, driving how much stuff you see on the road and um, you, what you're doing versus conditions and other drivers and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I readily agree with that, that it's not just one critical thing that causes these uh, fatalities as unfortunate as they are. It adds up to a lot of stuff. It, it, it adds up. And <clears throat> I think they had a beautiful example they, they laid out. And I want to read you this example, Tim, and I want you to tell me what stands out to you on this. So let me pull this up. So imagine the following scenario. Okay. It's a foggy day, mm -hmm. and there's a driver... They're driving an SUV and they're traveling along a road. So you're just driving right. it's a foggy morning kind of thing. Foggy morning. And the speed limit's 40 miles an hour. So so okay. you're cruising, it's 40. I'm doing 40. You're doing 40. You're following the speed limit because wow. Tim's okay. a safe driver. All right. Uh, the speed limit drops down to 25. Okay. Now, you don't see that sign because it's partially obstructed by a branch. Okay. You don't notice it dropped down to 45. This is in a familiar area. It's foggy, branches hanging out there, so you don't All see right. that. Now you come up to this intersection and there's a person that runs out in the road here in the fog. What happens? Sounds like I don't see them. I probably run into them. You might have hit that person. Doing 40. So that's probably fatality, I guess, is what you're asking me. Maybe it is. Maybe they're severely injured. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a fatality. Now when we hear that, what stands, what's standing out to you in there from, from a taproot perspective? From a taproot perspective is, you know, you mentioned I didn't see the sign. So what other safeguards are in place to slow me down? Um, you know, is there markings? That do I know that's, you know, an area someone's going to cross? Things like that. You know, is there a reduction in the, the size of the road? Is it narrower? Is it so we're thinking lit? Those type of things. We're thinking all about that human factors perspective, right? Yep. Of, of we don't want to just say, well, the person with the driver's at fault. You were speeding. You're going 40 and a 25, Tim. Blame yeah, right. you, write the ticket, send you, send you um, to court. Which is probably what would happen in real life. <laughs> Definitely would. Yeah. But when we look at that, when we really investigate it, what do we see? We see things like there's, there's environmental factors mm -hmm. that are affecting performance, human performance. Yep. There are um, problems with the signage. We've got a blocked sign. We might look at the roadway design and see, hey, yeah, okay, this is a marked pedestrian, but there's really nothing to give, yeah. no signal right. to tell you there's no a rumble risk. strips or anything like that. Yep. You know, and so those kind of things add up. So, you know, a really good question is when we're looking at our automotive accidents, mm -hmm. you know, are we really analyzing it from a human factors perspective or are we just blaming the driver? Now... That's, that's a road accident. We're thinking of a county person. But how many auto accidents, 
how many fork truck accidents happen in industry? <laughs> They've, who knows how many? I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that go unreported, but a whole bunch. Yeah, on, now, on a daily scale. You've investigated some. Sure, sure. I mean, some just as simple as. Well, you know, honestly, a lot of times what you see is people were put in bad positions. And I'm not defending people maybe not following policies or procedures, things like that, but just like congested areas and things like that where, you know, things like that were never addressed before. It was just, you should have seen that guy. It doesn't matter that you had a big load. It doesn't matter that you were in a hurry. Whatever the case may be, you shouldn't have run over them or hit them. And um, probably that's, if you're asking me what's the most common things I see, that that would be it, that it's not examined from the standpoint of what were they up against in that situation? What, what caused them to, you know, unfortunately not see that person or, or, or run into them or back over them or something like that? And I, and I would bet, you know, from my, my experience as well, and I've had a couple injuries, no fatalities, but injuries from people getting hit by a fork truck when I was in operations. And when we looked at them, um, it's not like the driver was intentionally trying to hit somebody, right? I never came across that in 20-some-odd yep. years of being around them. Nobody it, ever said I was trying to run him down. You, you know, know no, no matter how, how mad they were at me, they never tried to run me no, down, right? No, But... There are things like, well, they didn't see them. Yep. They didn't have time to react. Yep. This person stepped out behind them. Mm-hmm. And and how often do we set we put humans and equipment in scenarios where they are too close, there's no barriers, there's no decision point that protects people, that pauses right. them. Um, we talk in our course, we've got an example of a supervisor struck by a fork truck. That came from a real example that I remember. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we look at this, this guy exits a door, steps right into an aisleway, yep. and gets hit by a fork truck. Seen that happen? It's it's it. You could you could see it anywhere, and just by doing something simple as putting a barrier there that forces them to stop, that forces them to change what they're doing, change directions, change behavior. They can't just run out of a room. Sure. So you decrease you you increase the amount of time that there's awareness of somebody. So the point of this article, and I think there's a really interesting one, is that. Oftentimes, just because we're looking at human error doesn't mean our solution is tell someone to do better next time. Tell somebody to be more oh, careful. Absolutely, absolutely. And your barrier example you brought up, you, you know, when you're trying to correct these instances, you, you have to influence this human being who can fail in infinite number of ways. And so, you know, that can be a challenge. And how you influence that behavior Frankly, you know, it's it's shown. It's not by the lower the training and the discipline and the the things like that. Um, the more rules and, and things. So um, now we we talk about the hierarchy, the hierarchy of controls, and when you look at what you can do to prevent human error. Right. When we look at that, the the stronger things that you're doing is looking at human factors engineering. Now I was reading something else on this that was very similar, and it was talking about you know, what's the number one cause of human error in driving? And this was separate from this article, but it was saying that the, mo- the, the I think it was something like 40% um, of accidents are related to distraction. 
I figured you were probably going there. That was my guess. Yeah, so distraction. Sure. And when we look at distracted driving, what distracts us? Our phones, phones. things dropped, rolling around on the floor. Your daily situation, you know, you're in a hurry. You, you got a lot of pressure on you that day. Even that falls under distraction, yep. you know. So um, it's very rare that we get in the car and we're totally concentrated on but driving. It, and even things like the road, you know, your road design as you're driving down or your aisleway design as you're yep. driving down the aisleways, what's in your focus, what's not? What is telling you that there is a potential for danger up ahead? Sure. You know, things like that that can, can change this. So they were talking about things like how do you change human behavior? And when I think about human factors, I always think human factors is about making it intuitive to do right, hard to do wrong. And so yep. one of the things that they talked about, this was a big thing in the, uh, I believe, the Netherlands. Um, and what they do for road design is they started putting trees closer to the road. Really? So they do trees closer to the road because that narrowing of the road, if you narrow the road in these zones, it instinctively makes people slow down because they think, oh, i got less room. So they instinctively slow their speed down when they come into a narrowing situation. So by doing things like the road design where you have it narrow, before it comes to pedestrian walks. I've seen others where they make the pedestrian walk like a speed hump almost, where they've got that kind of like barrier so you will have to slow down. You're not hitting that at 40 because you're going to ramp. Um, so there's things like that that they do that make it to try to distinguish the difference. I like the, you ever had the rumble strips, the, the dun, 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 yeah. like if you're doing the, coming to where you need to slow down, the, the strips will make your car shake, but if you're, you know, doing that slower speed, you go across it smooth. I always thought yeah. that was a real good design that it's not used as, as, as much as it needs to be. You know, it's fairly, I would think, inexpensive to cut some some grooves in the pavement and yeah. stuff like that. But continue on. But, but exactly, about, no, yeah. exactly, exactly. So there's there's ideas of what we can do to change behavior that's not, we don't have to re-engineer the entire road. We don't have to you know, tear up all of our infrastructure to do these fixes, but there are small things cutting group, cutting holes in there. Uh, signs are okay. We know where they fall, right? Yeah. They're they're better than than just proceed. They're better than just training and discipline. But they're they're still, you know, how do you read every road sign? No. Probably not. Um, but things that that do impact <clears throat> human performance can narrowing of the road does make people slow down. Um, change in elevation on the road does affect human behavior. So there's things like that that I think we can do. Making it intuitive, improving the human factors, I think is a really important thing. And we can think about this for our aisleways that we design, for our fork trucks. And when we have these incidents, instead of just starting with, well, we're going to fire the guy that ran into somebody, or looking at, well, we're going to tell everybody to be really careful when driving fork trucks, mm -hmm. or you know, our, our truck drivers to tell them to be really careful when pulling out or, or parking, right? Yeah. You know, those aren't going to be necessarily the best corrective actions. And I think a lot of times companies will stop at the, well, somebody was speeding, so therefore we're not going to fix it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the kind of thing that we need to break ourselves of that behavior and not just going, well, okay, we're going to accept that problem. Now, this makes me think of a couple things. So the first is situational awareness issues. Now, I have, a, I have a whole webinar, and we, teach, we talk about this in our, our two-day course uh, for Stopping Human Error, talking about situational awareness. And, and 
your ability to detect and receive information. Um, so when we think about how do we increase people's ability to detect and receive information, in a car, what's something that comes to mind for you that, that helps you detect there's a problem and react to it? Like outside, you mean in like warning lights in my dash? Yeah, warning stuff? lights in your dash. Yeah. That would be one of them. Um, my wife's car, she hates it, but it's got this thing. If she starts to change the lane without doing the signal, you know, it it shakes you. Yeah, yeah, lane and, lane uh, lane uh, departures and all of that. Yeah, lane but, departures. So those are those are human engineering controls that if you were drifting, oh, it'll help you get back yeah, in, yeah. or that that um, forward collision warning, right? Yeah. Hey, there's a car. Now, I have my car set on the furthest out for forward collision warning. So it gives me sometimes some false positives. But I'd rather have a false positive and be aware and start braking early than, than cut that thing to the last second where I got to slam sure. on the, you know. So those kind of things can help improve. But, but you bring up a good point that, you know, these type of issues, you need that defense in depth. Because as great as autonomous and sensors and things are, they're not going to totally stop these accidents from occurring. It's a, a combination of yeah. the technology, the design, and in improving that human interaction that you're going to see results from, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I think when you look <clears throat> at these things, there's kind of different factors when we look at safety. You know, they've got... Uh, this, this article talked about SUVs, you know, these big, bad SUVs, these giant, you know, honking SUVs. That's what yeah. this article is talking about. But when we think about that, there's kind of a trade-off with performance when it comes to SUVs. You've got a lot of protection. If you're driving an SUV, you're actually one of the safest vehicles you can be in. Mm -hmm. But the person you hit isn't. <laughs> they're, they're in a bad situation. You run, a, uh, you run one of those, what's a small little... Uh, uh, Kias or whatever, the little small car, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, the little compacts. Yeah. You run against one of those into, a, you know, a big old um, SUV, and it looks like a soda can after. It does, but also, too, I mean, when you're looking at this from the standpoint of protecting others, yep. you, you mentioned, yep. you know, if uh, I strike you in the little the little car you talked about yeah. doing 35 yeah, which, it, one, which one are you going to put your daughter in, right? You're well, going to put them yeah, in the big I'm, SUV. She's in an SUV, yeah. I might add, but, I mean, <laughs> if she hits somebody... She'll be okay. She'll be okay, but the person's not going to be, and it doesn't really matter the type of vehicle there. Yeah. Um, so that force makes a difference. You think about stopping distance and stuff, and, you know, you're never going to regulate down to a certain perfect size of car that's perfectly safe. No. That, that, I don't think, is the end goal. But when we think about the vehicles that... Our people use are they right for the job that we're doing are they going to give us the performance factor that we need you know are we going to buy Hellcats for everybody to be driving around as a personal vehicle when you say that you know, the, you know the vehicle fitting the job I think of you know do you need the tractor trailer delivering in the downtown area or can you do it with a, a, a van or a truck? Yep, yep. And um, I absolutely agree with you on that. You know, choosing that right size, designing that right size, of, you know, from a company standpoint, picking the tool that's, that's going to work. And maybe sometimes on that particular piece of equipment, you know, a lot of times we like to pick something that's going to work all across the board, right? Yep. And maybe that's not the way that you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to have some specialized stuff. I, I had a client that talked about their, their one of their largest, the mo one of the things they investigated a lot was car accidents where people backed up into things. 
Oh, and yeah. my first question was, do you guys, did you install backup cameras on the cars? He said, no, they don't have backup cameras. I said, well, you have a really easy corrective action that's going to reduce this. Give them a backup camera, and they're going to be less likely to run into stuff. It will reduce. It wouldn't eliminate. Doesn't but... eliminate. Doesn't eliminate. And I think a lot of these cases, you're not going to be able to eliminate the hazard, right? You're not going to be able to no. eliminate these. The we got to have force. cars. You've got to be able to get somewhere. <laughs> yep. So you can reduce risks. You can set people up for success. You can design systems for success. And I think that's really what we want people focusing and taking away from this. When we're thinking about auto accidents, don't just stop at somebody made a mistake, at mm -hmm. the person didn't stop in enough time. Right. Really look at the human factors around it. Really look at um, the design of the road, the design of the workspace, where people were supposed to be, what was the area, how was it lit, how was the human factors around it. How was it organized? How was it organized? How did they know? We, used, we, we installed those blue lights on the front of them so you could see there's a blue light yeah, coming down an highway. Yeah, the halo light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you do things like that that maybe try to increase visibility. Um, it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but what can we do to increase, like you said, that defense in depth? And I think, I think if people take some of those, that mindset, and don't just stop at human error, at somebody made a mistake, and dig deeper and come up with some really good corrective actions, we should be able to see a reduction in fatalities, a, a reduction in worker injuries to fork trucks. Um, and I think that's really important for people to take a look at in their organization, is taking a look at how can we focus on investigating the human factors side of this and not just stopping at that causal link of somebody made a mistake or didn't take a certain action. Yep. I can't argue with you. <laughs> right with you there. <laughs> so... <clears throat> I think, I think that kind of covers all our thoughts on the article. If you guys want to learn more, if you want to get more information about how to go beyond human error in an investigation, uh, the best thing you can do is to attend a Taproot course. Uh, if you haven't got time to do that yet, sign up for one of our webinars, um, the free webinars that we've got coming up. I'm doing one on situational awareness. We've got a bunch of other ones coming up as well. Um, so check out those. Um, also, make sure to uh, click like, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys in the next ones. Comment what you think the, the most common cause of car accidents is below. Bye. Have a good day. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To view the video version of this episode, visit our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Please visit us on our website at taproot.com for up-to-date information and blog articles designed to help you excel in your performance improvement program. And please sign up for our newsletter so you'll get the notifications of when new information is released, where we're teaching around the world and all things Taproot. We will see you next time on our podcast version of Taproot TV.